we now move on to our final session um, on AI propaganda and biased reporting. And we start with uh, Vidya Narayanan, who is a postdoctoral researcher and director of research in Oxford's computational propaganda project. Uh, she's several years of experience working at a, as a researcher in AI with groups at both universities and in commercial environments. Uh, over to you, Vidya. Uh, thank you very much, Peter, for uh, inviting me. Um, so I'm Vidya Narayanan. I work as a postdoctoral <coughs> research fellow, researcher at the Oxford Internet Institute. And um, uh, so I work in the Computational Propaganda Project, which is uh, headed by Professor Phil Howard. So we're a group of uh, uh, political scientists, media scholars, and uh, I, I'm, I'm a computer scientist by training. So it's a highly interdisciplinary project, and um, we track the spread of uh, fake news, misinformation, disinformation on uh, social media. So um, I think I would like to describe my work as uh, mapping the impact of uh, AI on our uh, democratic processes. Um, so computational propaganda, at least within the project, we have a working definition of uh, computational propaganda. So this is about how um, algorithms and uh, uh, the affordances of social media platforms come together to enable malicious actors to spread uh, fake news and to influence public opinion and manipulate elections. Um, so you would notice that uh, I've put down junk news here instead of fake news and this was a deliberate attempt to move away from uh, uh, the term fake news because it was being uh, weaponized and being used by authoritarian figures to to attack publication mainstream you know media that were critical of government policy and so on. Uh, so when when we first started this project, we were looking um, we were looking at uh, Twitter. So we would track politically relevant hashtags on Twitter. So we would study elections around the world. We started with uh, uh, I think US uh, twenty sixteen, the presidential elections that uh, you know some of you might have uh, heard about. So you know and. Uh, uh, Brexit also, Brexit before that, Brexit and uh, the 2016 elections. So we would track politically relevant hashtags on Twitter, extract uh, extract tweets that were posted with these, with these hashtags and then extract links to news sources from these tweets. And then we had a classification, classification schema and we would try to separate out uh, professional news sources from more problematic news sources. So, I mean, there was nothing, uh, uh, you know, we, we were not using advanced AI for this. This was all done manually. It was just, uh, uh, we used AI mainly to track the spread of, uh, uh, you know, problematic news sources or junk news sources on social media platforms. But, but yeah, so, um, you know, we would classify them into professional news sources and uh, junk news sources, and then we would track the spread of junk news sources on social media platforms. And we had a detailed, uh, we had five criteria to determine if a news source was in fact problematic. So this would be, uh, you know, professionalism, if it adhered to professional standards, if they were open about editorial policy, who their funders were, style, so this could include, um, you know, ad hominem attacks, excessive use of capitalization, uh, the type of... Uh, you know, the type of um, sensationalism and so on. And then you have credibility um, and then bias. So it could be hyper-partisan 
you could, uh, you know, you have these creamy news headlines uh, purporting to be news, but it's actually commentary and so on. And then outright counterfeit news sources, they would mimic the branding and other features of more well-established news organizations. Um, so if they fail, if a news source failed three of these five criteria, then we would classify them as junk news sources and then, uh, um, and then find out in our sample what percentage of news sources were junk, was professional and so on. So this served us quite well we, when we were studying Western democracies. But uh, when we moved to uh, Latin America, um, I think in 2017, you know, 2018, and then India in early 2019, uh, things changed fairly dramatically. First of all, I think, um, you know, it, it coincided with the rise of uh, encrypted platforms like and messaging apps like WhatsApp. So uh, people, so I think, uh, you know, there is, it speaks to uh, different cultures of internet use and so on. So uh, platforms like WhatsApp afforded a level of privacy that was absent in, uh, absent on Twitter, Facebook and so on. We saw that we saw these apps grow in popularity both in Brazil, particularly in Brazil and in India. These were being used by political actors to directly, to bypass traditional filters and directly reach uh, water populations. And with the rise of these messaging apps, the sort of um, need to, to use dubious news sources to push propaganda out reduced and people were increasingly using visual um, media. Uh, for instance, memes and images, and uh, 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 and and uh, videos to to convey their to reach audience groups and to manipulate voters. So, for the first time, when we studied the Brazilian election, we found very low levels of junk news on Twitter using our classification scheme and so on. And uh, of course, that doesn't mean that there was no junk news in the Brazilian elections. It simply meant that it had migrated to other platforms. Uh, so, of course, there are, there are a number of issues with uh, accessing information, with accessing data on what's meant to be an encrypted platform. So we had to actually ask to join these groups. So we would join these. First of all, you know, they had to be public WhatsApp groups, which meant that they, we could only join using a link that was published on the, on the web. And then once we joined these groups, we had to announce that we were researchers and we had to be very upfront about that and seek their consent, uh, consent before using, using their data. And of course, we've had run-ins with uh, WhatsApp and they would question if, it, if this was ethical because it was designed as, uh, as a private encrypted platform. Um, and they would also question whether this was representative, perfectly valid questions, except that uh, you know, WhatsApp, I, the, they knew very well that we had no other way of accessing the data. And, you know, we were trying to shed light on what was going within, going on within these groups. Um, but, but yeah, it raises some very significant ethical questions about, uh, you know, privacy and data protection and how do we, and whether researchers have an automatic right, uh, I mean, in the interests of, uh, serving public good and so on to access this data. Uh, but coming back to this, so for the visual, because we saw an increasing amount of propaganda taking the shape of memes and images, we developed a different visual typology to, uh, to classify the kind of material that we were seeing, propagandic material. So of course there was the standard campaign stuff, 
there was satire, religion played a big part. Um, there was junk, uh, you know, uh, similarly style credibility. But crucially, uh, there was no more this distinction between professional versus non-professional or dubious news sources because, you know, this was this was moving away from attribution. People did know that it was not from a professional news source, this particular image or meme, and that was part of the appeal. It was still talking about, was making, you know, it was either critiquing policy decisions, it was making fun of politicians, and they seemed to strike a chord with audience groups, uh, although people knew that it was not professionally produced. So our entire definition of junk news versus professional news and our methodology had to be adapted to be able to describe what was meant as uh, propaganda in this in this context. Um, yeah, and so in the Brazilian context, again, we saw a lot of uh, hate, gore, and porn, and that raised a whole uh, different set of questions, ethical questions about what do we do when we see, um, you know, say, call to action within a WhatsApp group. What is our responsibility as uh, as researchers? I mean, we've promised not to intervene. But if we if we thought that there was actually some danger to a group or to an individual, what do we do in that case and so on? And also, uh, you know, uh, our responsibility to our own research students and other researchers because they were being exposed to fairly dire material on social media and how would it impact their well-being? So these are some of the questions that we had to grapple with when we were doing um, this research. Um, so in the Indian context, of course, uh, our, our research period coincided with uh, the Pulwama attack. The, um, um, so India and Pakistan almost were on the brink of war and so on, the exchange of hostilities. So, uh, you know, nationalism and support for armed forces, we saw a whole lot of pictures celebrating the Indian army and patriotism and so on. Um, so, so both. So the, the key takeaway for us as a research group was that uh, propaganda had shifted from uh, from open platforms, more encrypted platforms like WhatsApp, and from using attribution and dubious news sources to spread propaganda. Malicious actors were increasingly using memes and images and visual media to influence to reach audience groups. So into this mix, okay, so I could skip this. This is just WhatsApp. Uh, these are just some results from the Indian elections. Um, so into this mix, so it's already, it's already uh, tricky to classify these, uh, these images and so on. And there are a whole host of ethical questions already. But then, uh, you know, I think some, some of our speakers have already referred to uh, you know, generated adversary networks and uh, deep fakes and so on. And, uh, you know, the potential that they could have uh, on future misinformation, disinformation campaigns was what was beginning to uh, exercise our interest. And um, because, uh, you know, my work, uh, I've, I've done some work on reinforcement learning and so on. This was, uh, this was something that was of huge interest to me personally as a researcher as well. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, we saw, uh, we saw Karina talking about GP2, for instance, and uh, you know you have uh, speech to text, you have image to image, you have you have a whole host of advanced AI techniques that could uh, uh, that can generate misinformation and disinformation. And in the sort of wrong hands, <coughs> one could only imagine the, the impact that it would have on future elections. 
And in fact, in our, uh, even in the recent UK elections, we saw future advocacy um, produce videos of Boris Johnson and, um, and Jeremy Corbyn, each endorsing the other, just to dem- demonstrate the power of uh, you know, these, uh, these technologies. So yeah, of course, as AI researchers, the intention is not to generate uh, misinformation, but it's to advance uh, you know, the field of AI itself and to endow computers with an intrinsic understanding of the world, which is what I suppose AI is all about. And um, of course, if you can generate, <coughs> sorry, uh, if you can generate new data sets from existing data sets, that means your reliance on data itself reduces. Um, so this is an example of a progressive GAN, as they're called, and this company, NVIDIA, in the Silicon Valley, managed to perfect this technique. So this is a completely computer-generated image, and it's indistinguishable from a human image. And uh, it's, it's not possible to detect that it's, it's, an, artif- it's an artificially generated image using um, you know, current uh, techniques, because by definition, it is an image. It's just not of a real person. So, um, so it, yeah, it, it completely alters our perceptions of reality, particularly among groups that are, that are vulnerable, that have, uh, <clears throat> that have little or no technical know-how. Um, so, so it poses a lot of questions for us as a society, I mean, to identify if there are groups that are more vulnerable to this kind of generated misinformation, and what, as, as, as stakeholders, what can we do, both researchers as well as governments and uh, the big tech companies. So with that, I'd like to conclude, and uh, yeah. Thank, Thank you very much.